Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by MUBI, a curated streaming service showcasing exceptional films from around the globe. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Robin Barr. Hola. We also have Bill Graham. Fuck yeah, you do. <laughs> I love it. Bill, I love I love this like new year, new attitude thing you've got going on. Let's fucking go. Let's do this. <laughs> And with us today, a special guest to talk about Mike Mills' Come On, Come On, it's Greg Vellante. Hello, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Robin, would you like to introduce the guest again this week? Um, Greg is our stalwart leader at the Boston Society of Film Critics and I think has a lot to say about Come On, Come On, which he will uh, explain shortly, but I thought he would be a great person for this because of how how uh, personal the movie was for him so thank you for coming greg and you know share share whatever you want about yourself as well <laughs> yeah thanks for having me um yeah i mean aside from with the work with the bsfc and also the boston online film critics association i do freelance film criticism um currently for edge boston and uh, spectrumculture.com um and with some bylines elsewhere on occasion, but for the most part, uh, Edge Boston would be where you can find most of my work. Awesome. And we are happy to have you here once again to help us talk about Come On, Come On, the new film from writer-director Mike Mills. This movie stars Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Woody Norman, amongst uh, many others. And uh, we will talk about that just as soon as we get through all the usual front matter for one of these podcasts. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. You can email us, podcast thefilmstage.com. And, of course, uh, you can give us a comment and a rating on iTunes. Um, haven't even looked at those in a while. I assume we are still at a resounding four and a half stars, and uh, I would uh, love to see that tick upwards. So go and give us a five-star review if you could. And, of course, um, you can become a patron of this show by going to patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow. For as little as $1 an episode, you get to support us. You get access to our super cool Slack channel where we are in full force Sundance mode. Everyone talking about all the virtual screenings they're going to, giving one another tips and tricks for dealing with the Sundance app, which um, I tried to use on Friday, and it is a nightmare. So, yeah, uh, it's super interesting. It's super fun. A lot of very interesting characters who all have a lot of very intense... <laughs> opinions uh all watching a bunch of brand new movies by a bunch of great artists so again go to patreon.com slash the film stage show and uh give today don't forget that we are also brought to you by mubi the curated streaming service that showcases exceptional films from around the globe every day mubi premieres a new film whether it's a timeless classic a cult favorite or an acclaimed masterpiece it's guaranteed to either be a movie that you've been dying to see or one you've never heard of before and there will always be something new to discover with movie each and every film is hand selected so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch and instead you'll actually be watching something great 
It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. You can try movie for free for 30 days by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Uh, if you'd like to know some of the stuff that they've got going there, I wanted What's to talk the about stuff. Give us the stuff. Um, as part of their festival focused Sundance, they have a movie whose title I can only say in the following way. Tarnation. <laughs> oh boy. Tarnation. Uh, this is an unnerving work of catharsis, an unmissable offering of queer cinema. The image making process becomes a volatile yet therapeutic means of survival. Called from hours of mixed visual materials, the stunning reflection on mental illness journeys through both darkness and light. Once again, that's Tarnation. There's also a movie that's being released. Uh, it's called The Dog Who Wouldn't Be Quiet. Which I feel like, Bill, you and I at least probably can imagine the kind of madness that would go along with that. <laughs> so abundant with warmth and vitality is this prescient Argentinian wonder. It's a miracle that its 37 minutes can contain it. A funny, formally adventurous ode to the arbitrary phases of life. Anna Katz's monochrome marvel pirouettes between the absurd, the mundane, and the existentially profound so if any of that sounds good to you, and keep in mind there are 28 other films that you can check out, and it's a constantly rotating basis, all you got to do is go to movie.com slash the film stage. Again, that's mubi.com slash the film or slash film stage for a whole month of great cinema for free. And that is that. So that, uh, that brings us to our feature review, unless anyone else has something they want to talk about before we get into it. Robin, you still okay, eating toast? I have one thing to share. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was eating toast. Um, so has anybody ever seen What's Up, Doc? Have you guys seen that movie? Uh, is it, no, I'm going to assume no. no. Okay, then this is not really going to matter because I wanted to get into a debate about Barbara Streisand versus Madeline Kahn. Um, but if nobody's seen it, then I can't I can't engage you in that. I, uh, uh... I guess I'll side with Madeline Kahn just because she's not Barbara Streisand. I mean, I think that's, okay. that's a valid. <laughs> <laughs> Basically we watched this movie yesterday where um, it's what's up doc. It's the Peter Bogdanovich film from 72 mm-hmm. and Barbara Streisand plays this sort of proto manic pixie dream girl. She's blonde. She's Jewish. She's got a lot of personality. She's intellectual. Um, and she's the love interest uh, for this guy played by Ryan O'Neill and he has a fiance who's this um, really annoying Martinet control freak played by Natalie Khan, who has a very annoying voice. And at the end of the movie, my husband's like, why would he go for Barbara Streisand when he could have this wonderful woman who is just very stable and has, you know, all these, like all these ways to help her partner, uh, you know, stay on the straight and narrow. And I thought that was very um, emblematic of my husband, who I've also described as a Karenin. So I was just curious what other folks here thought. Okay. It sounds you like. describe your husband as a Karenin? I mean, yes, very like, much so. Like he's... Alexei Karenin from Anna Karenina? Yeah, he's just very like. The man who is cuckolded <laughs> by Not cuck- he's, My husband is not cuckolded. He's just like very. I- you know, very like, 
INTJ. I don't know how else to describe it. Wow. Like, all right. You just turned into an OK Cupid dating profile. Um, <laughs> no, because like I'm just saying, like in the book Anna Karenina, Anna becomes pregnant by another man. Yeah. No, I know. Okay. Thank you for explaining. This I'm very not. I wasn't trying to, to say that you, your your <laughs> husband was a cuck. I was just. I'm just saying he very much relates lunch. to Karenin as the like stalwart, like going nowhere, uh, stable on the on the path kind of guy right yes. um, and i thought it was very amusing to me that he would then want to choose this same kind of character in madeline khan who is who is playing like a fool basically in this movie compared to the sex pot that is barbara streisand um i think it goes to show that my husband loves jewish women no matter what that's probably that's possible have yeah, we well, anyway com- have, we, have you ever like have, has uh, I feel like we've probably had this conversation, but maybe it just feels like one that we should have had by now. Like who I am in Anna Karenina. Oh yeah, you're the uh, you're Le- Levin or something. Yes, yeah, I feel yeah. Like you're you just so like me when I said that <laughs> you're you Levin. <laughs> no, I thought like you called me Karenin, and then I said I'm Eleven, and you're like, oh God, yeah, like that's even are. worse. <laughs> like you hated me for saying that. Anyway, if no, anyone remembers if that actually happened in an episode, please let us know. Otherwise, Robin and I just apparently have a headcanon about one another that syncs up <laughs> in a very disturbingly well situation. Um, I do remember this. Um, okay, anyway, good. I just I, I thought it was an amusing little anecdote from my cinematic life. But I guess yeah, I mean, not everybody I, has I like seen it. that movie. <laughs> no, right. I haven't. Um, we also decided that Mommy Dearest is extremely harrowing and not at all fun or campy. No wire hangers. Uh, yeah. What was I going to say? I haven't even seen that movie, and I know that. It's really concept. depressing, but in a good way. I mean, I believe it. It sounds like it would be. But okay. come on, come on. Let's go. We have a movie to talk about. God damn it. All right. Anyway, so we're here, we're here today to talk <laughs> about Come On, Come On, uh, the song by the Von Bondies, and the movie uh, by Mike Mills, who previously has done Beginners and... T- 20th century women that's right right it's not certain women that mike mills did no that's kelly reichardt (laughs) thank you yes um yeah i i always get those mixed up and i feel like they probably didn't even come out the same year and yet somehow it still happens to me but anyway mike mills has made a movie it is out now on vod and it stars joaquin phoenix gabby hoffman scoot mcnary and introduces us i believe introduces us to woody norman And this movie is Come On, Come On, and here is the trailer. To visit planet Earth, you will have to be born as a human child. At first, you will have to learn to use your new body to move your arms and legs. You will learn to walk and run, to use your hands to make sounds and form words. There will be so much for you to learn and so much All for right. you to feel. That is part of the trailer for Come On, Come On. Again, the new film from writer director Mike Mills. Here is the IMDb certified synopsis. When his sister asks him to look after her son, a radio journalist embarks on a cross-country trip with his energetic nephew to show him life away from Los Angeles. I'm going to give that like a solid C-minus. 
in terms of IMDb. Yeah, that is that is not the plot of this movie. <laughs> right. But like you could see how someone who half watched this movie would think that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, that's why I give it a C minus. Um, and actually, I don't even know what my grading scale for these things is because I love them most when they're the most wrong. So like Power of the Dog definitely gets an A. <laughs> But anyway, here we are to talk about Come On, Come On. Uh, Super excited to do it. Just watched this the other day, and I am aching to talk about it. And so we begin, of course, with our nutshell thoughts. And let's start with our guest. Greg, what are your thoughts on Come On, Come On? Um, Personally, I love it. It was in my top 10 uh, for the year. I I rewatched it for a third time last night. And in my opinion, it has just gotten stronger with each reviewing. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan overall. All right. Excellent. Bill Graham. Yeah, I really love this film. Uh, I thought it was beautiful, poignant. Um, it really doesn't like skirt around things. Um, it definitely has those conversations. Um, and I mean, in a lot of ways, I was really interested in the, the little uh, radio documentary that's happening inside the film as well. Um, so I was very curious about those conversations. Um, and it seemed like there was a lot of, um, I would say a lot of honesty and, and truth in what is going on. Um, I really enjoyed the fact that this film basically hits on the fact and idea that raising kids is just tantamount to chaos a lot of the times. Um, and having known so many other, uh, parents of my similar age, um, raising their own kids and getting kind of used to being around them, I definitely understand that uh, their day-to-day existence is probably, um, very chaotic. So yeah, I enjoyed it. All right. Robin Barr. Yeah, I think uh, I'm also on the same page. I really really enjoyed this movie. Um, that was quite beautiful. Um, I also found it very personally relatable, um, both having been a weirdo child and, and having a mentally ill parent that required me to be raised a little bit by other family members. Um, not like living with them, but just sort of having that mentorship relationship was very important for me. Um, so it just, it felt very at home for me and the performances are absolutely beautiful. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, couldn't be farther from his Oscar winning performance in Joker. Um, and yet brings as much. <laughs> was that just, it's so, it's such a thing to hear his, like his Oscar winning performance in Joker. I'm sorry. I mean, <laughs> is it wrong? Yeah, no, it's you, everything you said was factually correct, but I feel like you said that specifically as a laugh line, but now I'm the only one who laughed. So who knows? It's. I think it's important because it's such a different, it's such a miles away performance from one another. And yet they both, those, those two performances hinge on questions of mental health and vulnerability and pathos and care. And so they're like really, they're very, really, really different expressions and yet they uh, hit on the same theme. So I found, I think mm-hmm. that's very interesting. Um, also he 
you know, he looks a little more human in this role because he gained, yeah, he gained quite a bit of weight in a good way. I think he looks, you know, he has that sort of uh, nice dad bod going on. And I think Gabby Hoffman, she's, she often plays the person with the mental health crisis happening. So it was was really great to watch her in a a much more straight person role um, where she has to be the, the caregiver. Um, I thought she was really great. And Woody Norman is just really fantastic. Did y'all know he's British? Like this is a full on British child and he nailed this performance. Yeah. Well, I had no idea. It's really incredible. Um, So what you're saying is this British child stole uh, American working child's uh, (laughs) roles. Jacob Tremblay. ate his hat when he found out he didn't Jacob Tremblay is like 15 or something like <laughs> that ship has sailed man uh but yeah the, just all around incredible performances beautiful editing beautiful writing just really um really valued this movie quite a bit and it also scared the hell out of me when it comes to thinking about kids uh so an- another week another beautiful um well acted uh just gorgeous black and white movie that kind of left me cold. Um, I think that for me, Mike Mills is always going to be operating at a loss because uh, beginners is like possibly my, my most favorite movie of like the century so far. Um, I feel like I just said that about talking about a different movie not too long ago. But uh, unable to think of that now, I will say that Beginners is definitely within conversation for top 10 of the last like 22 years for me. It's it's a movie that I revisit like once a year um, whenever like I need to to pry open my cold Irish heart and just like have a good cry about things. I watch Beginners um, and I feel like in the the two movies of his that I've seen since then, uh, 20th Century Women and this I'm I'm chasing that same feeling but coming up a little a little short. And this movie uh definitely gave me a lot of beginners vibes um in in the way that like it involves people uh dealing with a dying parent who is sitting in a bed by a gorgeous picturesque picture window um by the way that it references other works within its own story. Um and while I while I did enjoy the movie, I still feel like it didn't quite it clearly I did not affect me the way that it seems to have affected all of you. And I can't wait to hear more about that. Because one of the reasons we're human. Well, I, I was gonna say I think one of the reasons that it I have a child. I have been raising yeah, a child pretty much on my own. And so I am viewing the movie through that lens, not as someone going like, oh God, children, but like, oh right, I have a child. And I just like I'm very aware of the way that that uh, movies have people talk about raising children. And it's it's starting to feel to me like. I don't know. the I don't know the proper way to say this, but like maybe I'm a natural or like maybe my daughter is the <laughs> best kid on fucking earth because like I well, don't this, this ever. Kid I is, don't is presented as a little bit more problematic than your average kid. Yes. Yes. And that is totally valid. And that is something. But like, you know, it's just it's it's weird to see a movie like this and then have. And again, we've talked about this before. Movies about stable people who don't have problems are boring as shit. 
Exactly. Right? So like, that's like why if, we... if the kid is if the kid is just fucking normal as fuck, then then it's boring as hell, right? Right. Exactly. And why it's, have a kid it's in like there? When we were so. talking about um, happiest season, and it was just like, look, I don't understand why people are upset that there's a toxic relationship on screen. Look at every movie ever; they're all toxic. Normal relationships are not good cinema. Um, mm-hmm. so like, I get that, but it is, it is one of those things where I, I like see once again, like another movie that's like talking about how like, Oh yeah, having fucking kids is a nightmare, uh, but you just have to get through it because that's what, you know, society expects you to do. And like, I know that I'm coming from a whole different scenario. Like any time that I read or hear anything about motherhood, I have to in my head, invert all the words to make it apply to myself because that's my lived experience. And so it always feels a little weird to have to do that and be on the outside and never really see or feel what I'm going through, uh, represented in a way that I'm used to. But see, that's the thing, Bill, is that people don't often (laughs) talk about that part. They're talking about like, Oh, like, you know, the dads can go and do whatever. And the mom is stuck at home doing like, you know, the the unpaid labor of like, you know, keeping the house and everything. And it's like, Oh, but like, that's, my whole life and most of the things that i read or hear about that reflect my experience are about motherhood so it's it's always just odd for me to have to live through that but i mean like it's 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 interesting that you say that though because i i live very much in the fitness space mm -hmm. and post motherhood is a very big topic because you know you have this conversation with a lot of women after they give birth and it's like okay you take six months or three months off uh some of them you know are back before their doctors are kind of like giving them the okay um because you know a lot of doctors are going to be uh very conservative about the numbers so you know they're not going to take into account like what that woman is actually feeling like they're they're usually going to give general uh, uh, recommendations. But yeah, like that is definitely a conversation that I've had with a lot of women where it's like, look, here are all your achievements before giving birth. And now we're going to have to wipe that slate clean and start back over. And Mm -hmm. now everything is post per birth PRs like personal records like that's what it's just got to be because if we expect you to rebound like that after you know giving birth is a very traumatic thing for a lot of women especially if they uh don't have a c-section not that c-sections uh aren't traumatic but I was about to say traumatic in a completely different way (laughs) yes uh and so like there's a lot of conversations that you that I've ended up having with a lot of women where it's like, okay, they didn't really understand how fit they were before giving birth and how much they kind of took a step back, mm-hmm. which is fine. Like it, that's kind of reality, but you know, I, I think there's a good path for uh, I'm I'm trying not to make this dour and sad like giving birth is the worst thing that you can do to your body like no but <laughs> you know it's it's definitely like heroin still wins that race <laughs> it's it's definitely a reality of like you know especially in the fitness space where people are used to doing things and then they come back to that same space and people are used to seeing them at the top of the leaderboards or whatever. Like I'm going into the weeds. It's like a reset that they have to do on their, on not just their bodies, but their, their minds. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't hear that much about, you know, post-birth and I'm like, that's all I hear about. (laughs) 
Well, I I don't feel like that's what I was saying, and I'm sorry if that's what it sounded like. What I'm saying is like I don't ever hear anything that reflects my lived experience that is talking about fatherhood. So like for me to get stories about my life, I have to go to stories of motherhood. Yeah, yeah. Because I, like I understand. you know, that's the, the modern like, the modern single dad raising a kid is is just not a story you hear too much about. Yeah. And I think I've said this on this podcast, but like when people find out that I got full custody, they kind of always take a step back. Like one woman physically recoiled and said uh, like, "Whoa, like what happened there?" I was like, "It's, it's like it's, <laughs> you haven't met my ex." <laughs> right. I was like, "I don't know what you're expecting the answer to be, but <laughs> it's clear that you're bracing for a tragedy or something." But yeah, so like watching a movie like this is always an interesting proposition for me in the way that it like tries to reflect or say something about parenthood or children in general. But I mean, I, I found this to be a stronger effort for Mills than I found 20th century women to be. And um, not quite on the beginner's level, but definitely had some vibes of it and definitely scratched some of that itch. So I liked it, but I'm not as high as everyone else. But I'm super eager to hear what all of you thought. And um, I'm excited to talk about it. Has, so, Ooh. so Greg, you've seen this how many times? Twice now? Uh, three, three thrice. times. I watched it, watched it thrice. Uh, third time last night. Yeah. Nice. So how, how have you, uh, you said, you know, you kind of have, have reevaluated it and almost like reevaluated upwards each time you've watched it. So what has that trajectory been like? Like, what was your initial response to it and how has it deepened with each rewatch? Uh, I mean, I think it's just one of those movies in general. I think the strongest movies are ones that you know, you notice new things, whether it's just like a, a little thing within a shot, a very, you know, a nuance in someone's face, just little things that you notice more and more, you know, each time you rewatch it. Um, the first time I saw it, I definitely, it was one of those weird experiences where I wasn't quite in the movie, even though I was profoundly moved by it because it was a movie about an uncle nephew relationship. And my uncle had passed away like two days before seeing it. So it was like a weird combination of that the first time viewing, but it also was something where it's like, ah, this came around at a really good time. Cause it was like comforting as much as it, like it was an emotional experience. Um, and then after like a few weeks passed, I was able to see it again, a, a bit more separated from that mindset and kind of enjoy it more as, you know, a movie and a story and all that. Um, and then the third time I was just kind of already familiar with the world that it presented. And I was just kind of, enjoying being re-immersed in it and just noticing new little things. That's awesome. Has anyone else been able to see this more than once? No, I've only seen it once. And I have rules. (laughs) You have rules? (laughs) I have rules about this. Yeah. Like I, unless I'm compelled for some very unusual reason, I don't rewatch a movie within five years of seeing it for the first time, preferably 10 years, but Wait a second. So, like, when you say, I feel it, Robin. Wow. Every time you tell us something, I feel like it derails <laughs> us. Wait. So, like, but you say compelled. So, like, the desire to watch it again doesn't count. No. So, there has to be some specific reason why I really want to rewatch something. Like, I went against my rule this year because I'd seen Barb and Star once, and I was like, yeah, that was that was fun. And then I just felt like. I had to watch this movie with my best friend. And so when I visited New York, uh, we put it on the TV and we really enjoyed that experience. Um, And that propelled me to like actually love the movie. 
So there has to be some kind of uh, inciting force for me to rewatch something within that frame, that time frame. But like, otherwise I actually, for, I don't know what it is. I, maybe it's the way my brain works or something, but I feel like if I watch something within the last five years, like I was like, Oh, I just saw it. Like, I don't need to revisit that again. I like get easily habituated to it and I want to move on and um, not revisit that until I have like a little bit more life experience and can reevaluate that film at, at a different time. And in that's my interesting. Life. Cause I've watched tenant like four times. Oh my <laughs> God. I'm not a I, comfort watcher. <laughs> I got you beat on Barb and star because um, my fiance and I rented it for $20 and watched it maybe at like, 7 p.m. And then later that night, I couldn't sleep. So I watched it again. You got your money's worth. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I get but it. It was I, worth it. Yeah, I, I absolutely get it. I just uh, I don't know what it is. It's like part of the many incongruous and illogical rules that I live my life by. But that is one of them. Wow. Yeah, no, that's a very odd one. Um, but, you know, it's yours. So God bless. You. I'm just I'm not a comfort watcher. Like I always want to watch something new if I'm going to take the time unless I'm unless I'm there to revisit in some way like Mommy Dearest. Where I was like, OK, I haven't seen this since I was seven years old. Like, what is this about now? I will say that there is benefit in that. Like I love like when being like eight years separated from a movie and then revisiting it because um, you do get like an, a whole new experience but sometimes there's like something i see where i'm like oh, i can't wait to see it again see that's mm-hmm. that's yeah. a- interesting to me because like i don't feel like i do that on purpose i guess what i'm what i mean is i definitely have movies that are like oh it's this time of year i have to watch this movie mm-hmm. you know so like, i get that yeah like adam's family values you watch that at at uh thanksgiving yeah 100 w- um no like you know there's the christmas <laughs> movies clearly but then like you know, the anniversary of my friend's death. I'm like, all right, well, it's time to kick on Manchester by the sea and hate myself. And then, oh God, <laughs> <laughs> this is Brian, everyone. What up? You all know me. Um, and then, you know, like St. Patrick's day, I got to watch the wind that shakes the barley. You know, there's that's a little on the nose, I, you know, but what am I going to do about it? Also? No, if I watched that around Easter, I feel like that would be on the nose. Okay. Cause of the Easter rising anyway. Um, Back to come on, come on. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Someone say something. You all liked this movie a lot. Someone help me out here. I don't. I'm not even sure what to what to what to say about uh, this. Y- you want a segue <laughs> into into what? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you were just like, I don't know. Someone say something. Uh, I like this movie. How about that? Um, what the fuck is going on with black and white movies right now? I'm I'm kind of getting tired of it. So like, I, I, both of these, was this movie made before the pandemic? It had to be, right? I don't fucking know. Who cares? I think it was. Yes. There's a, well, cause Bill, you know, you say who cares? I mean, there's a part of me that if you are asking about the 10, the trend of black and white movies, like, is it a response to, you know, COVID in being in our house and seeing things repeated? Do we feel as though we've entered a black and white world, you know, as, as, but like, Oh, you're you know, you're saying it. It's like a uh, a artistic thing that they're choosing, not like a practical thing. I have I have to assume that it's probably way more impractical to make a movie black and white nowadays than it is. I, I mean, but I mean, Mad Max Fury Road proved that you can fucking shoot something in full color and then just go. You know what? Let's make it black and white. 
Yes, well, the black and chrome edition is quite wonderful, as is the yeah, black, the black and chrome is still adjusted. It's not just like a switch. They definitely do a ton of color correction. And, sure, you know. but that's also like a movie with a lot of visual effects and things like that that they have to get right, right? When oh, yeah. they're switching it. So no, I, I, I imagine... Instagram filter. And- <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it's a lot easier for a film that runs 90 minutes and... Or, yeah, 108 minutes and... You know, it may be it uh, granted it may eat up more of its eight point three million dollar budget. So that that's certainly a consideration. But I mean, all of these films are fucking color corrected anyway. So, I mean, I imagine they're all still going through that same process. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying is that I don't think they were like, well, the movie needs to be cheap. So it's going to be black and white. I mean, like they clearly looked at this and said, like, this is a black and white movie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I really liked the black and white in this, and I'll tell you why. Um, I find that a lot of times uh, black and white movies, uh, they go a little contrasty. Their whites are too punchy, and I don't like it that much. Um, mm-hmm. I like the undersaturated nature of this movie. When I, This is unnecessary. When I shoot photography, I almost always underexpose my photos. I prefer them that way. I don't like glaring lights. This is another reason I hate Yamush Kaminsky. Um his pools of light, his his angelic windows, they annoy the shit out of me. I prefer things to be underlit. I won't say murky, but I will say shadowed. And so seeing Natural. this movie. Hmm? Natural. Yeah, I mean, I I, th- I happen to think that underlighting makes things appear more natural. I, I think that even it, on like a hot summer day, you need to pull back a little bit. Otherwise, you're going too it, hard. It's, it's so funny that you say that, though, because like I know enough about cinematography to know that they fucking light the shit out of scenes to then make it look natural. Right. Like a lot of times they are they're still hitting that place with a shit ton of light. And that's just in the effort to make it look natural. Well, yeah, because then once you have all that light, I'll tell you, like, it's so much easier to underexpose something if it's overlit because you can adjust all the other things. You can knock down the sensitivity of the film. You can Mm -hmm. uh, increase the shutter speed. You can uh, screw with the aperture, you know, so you get a darker picture, but it might look better. So like a movie like this, I actually I, I adored Every moving image of this movie, the color is just uh, my incredible. Com- to be clear, my complaint is not about this specific movie. You it is about happening. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Well, that's There's why, a box uh, this piece on it that I recommend. I think uh, Alyssa Wilkinson wrote it, but it, I I don't remember the argument. I just remember being like, oh yeah, like this is a good explainer. Well, so there's uh, the principal principal t- photography started in 2019 of November. Or I should say that November of 2019. Yeah. And uh, ended in January 2020. If. uh, Oh, wow. So they were like right before everything went nuts. Yeah. So I think it had nothing to do with the uh, which, again, leads to maybe my credence that or you know lens credence idea your theory. That, yeah yes that maybe they switched it in post or something like that i don't know because um, there's I, a part of um i interviewed mills uh after seeing it and we talked a little bit about the black and white and he said that when he was working on the uh the I am easy to find a music video short thing he did with the national. Mm-hmm. Um he was doing that as a practice to film this in black and white. So I think oh, it was nice. something he had and there are like from the script onward in terms of the way he wanted the film to look. Right. Cause 
Because the black and chrome edition of Mad Max notwithstanding, I mean, like, if you're shooting in black and white, like, again, just to dip into my super hobbyist photography, if I'm shooting in black and white, I'm composing and I'm lighting differently than if I'm shooting in color. Like, it, it because beca- sure. it becomes a consideration. So I have to assume that most things that do black and white, they go in thinking black and white. And, like, I was going to say, again, like, if this were a movie made during the pandemic – um, you know, and they wanted it to be set before the pandemic. Maybe you do black and white as kind of a meta commentary on how that feels like a completely different world. Like, you know, it, it's closer to Casablanca than it is to our present day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in this case, uh, quite intelligently, the the sound design of the movie is actually aided by the black and white because it you, is it is you get it's, the contrast, kind of, yeah. but you don't have you're not distracted by any colors like it's it's muted. And allows the sound to pop. Which, holy yeah, I crap, that. I want his sound set up. <laughs> <laughs> I almost stopped the movie and tried to, like, see, like, brand names on his stuff and and try to figure <laughs> out, like, what it is. Because that's just incredible. I loved it. And, I, again, like, this is one of the things. Like, I know I came in the least enthusiastic about this movie. But there's a lot in this movie that I really, really loved. And I think, I honestly think... If if the movie had just been him and his nephew one day, like wandering around the Venice boardwalk and like like day in the life, right, and just like picking up sounds and talking about stuff, that would almost have been more interesting to me. I think that Mike Mills has so many thoughts and ideas um, that he tries to catalyze them all together, and this movie kind of it gets away, it gets away from him. I think there's a lot going on, and I think it takes away from like the core relationship and i think that every once in a while you know having a character sit down to read something and then flashing the name of that thing on the screen becomes i don't want to say twee but it it feels a little i don't know preachy is not the right word did anyone else feel like that or did you all love that touch no i i I enjoyed the uh camera prefer or camera person reference uh from kirsten johnson or kristen johnson can't remember her name um but yeah i enjoyed that quote that was really interesting her her kind of insight about what it's like to be a journalist or a documentarian and to come into these people's lives and then like leave and they're still in their lives. And oftentimes we're coming into these people that have like a, a interesting quote unquote, interesting story because something dramatic has happened to them <laughs> most mm-hmm. likely, you know, and it's like, all right, tell me about this. Okay. I, uh, well, we'll yeah, this will probably post next month. Uh, good luck. And it's just like, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, uh, it's it's a very interesting way of looking at uh, that kind of aspect of journalism and documentary and uh, some. I'm really interested in what you're saying, Brian, about the construction of the movie, um, because it almost, although I very much relate to the storyline, I can see how the how it feels a bit contrived that. Gabby Hoffman has to take some time off from raising her kids so she can deal with her husband who she's in the process of separating from, but is also going through like severe mental health crisis. Um, And so suddenly, you know, like there, you know, this is a whole genre of single person who's not ready to have kids suddenly finds a kid sitting in their lap and has to learn how to 
be apparent in a very short period of time. And that's mm-hmm. just a, that's a such a common trope. Um, so I kind of agree with you that it would have been maybe a little more naturalistic if it was a, a spend time with me and I will show you my job and we can have some weirdo conversations. So I'm curious what Mills was trying to really get at. I mean, aside from just showing what it's like to be the a parent or like grapple with parenthood, um, which is think, I think very much still works. I think it's what's unique specifically is that he's really exploring what it's like to parent a very imaginative, emotional, needy, curious child, you know, a child that needs a lot of extra care. Mm-hmm. Um, that I felt very unique to me, but I, I kind of agree with you that the plottiness of it could have been excised and it still would have worked. Yeah. And like, you know, I, again, I, I don't, I, even though I, even though I do it all the time, I don't like trying to rewrite a movie to make it better. You know, this is what they've created, but it did, it did feel a little, a little strange to me. They kept doing that. And it felt like part of the reason they did it was to keep getting in all those interviews with the kids, um, you know, to see more, to give them more opportunities to lose each other and then have to find each other and then have a conversation about how they lost and found each other. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just, mm-hmm. it's it's a thing that kind of stuck out to me, especially again, because in Beginners, the kind of episodic, you know, long tail of the narrative, which was technically over the course of like three different time periods and had so much, it, it felt more artfully incorporated than in this movie where every once in a while it was just like, and here's, you know, this, this Kristen Johnson thing. Here's like, you know, he's reading him a book about like, uh, was it a polar bear? I think like a polar bear family. That was a bi- bipolar bear family. Yeah. Exactly. So I think it's one of the first thing that that's read. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, you know, yeah. they, they flash the title up and everything. And it just, it, it, um, in, in, in beginners, he talks about how his dad, would curate a uh, museum collection of toys every Christmas and they would post a quote from the Velveteen Rabbit. And then he reads the quote. And that was clearly a a quote that Mike Mills found to be important and impactful. And he found a way to incorporate it into the story that felt just a little less stapled on than some of what happens here. But I mean, I'm not going to argue that the quotes and and stuff, <laughs> you know, that we are handed in the syllabus that is this movie aren't, you know, germane to the story. And I think the story benefits from having them. I just wish that it were a little, a little better incorporated. Hmm. I mean, I, I feel like that's, that's getting uh, dangerously close to, uh, <laughs> Michael Snydell's uh, famous I can see the the workings of this being a movie oh yeah and it, it's just like okay well but we are watching a movie so yes. you know there is there's got to be a little bit of a of that relinquishing of control or relinquishing of that this isn't a contrivance right like, right well that's you know. that's why I kind of give a pass to the idea of like she's going to help her soon to be ex-husband with his like, you know, bipolar episode, mm-hmm. you know? Cause like there's, there's a part of me where I'm like, just who cares? Like stay with your kid. Like, what do you, what are you doing? Like, I understand mm-hmm. the desire to be 
a helpful human to another human that you have felt close to. But at the same time, like you have a child that needs you. Like, why are you, why are you letting Joaquin Phoenix take him across the country? Um, well, but, but also kids are resilient. Right. And so like, like, and I think that's one of the things that that was one of the most powerful things that I enjoyed about this film was that like Joaquin has this conversation with the kid and he's basically like, you will not remember any of this. Like more than likely you will remember like a snippet of it, maybe getting on that bus, maybe, you know, playing with some radio dials on my machine. But Mm -hmm. other than that, you won't remember this. And he's just like, no, I will. Like, that's stupid. And it's just like, you are such a small child right now. Like you have <laughs> no idea. Like I, I can't remember shit from my history except for like very traumatic things and usually like weird, random fun things. And sometimes like, like sad, depressing things here and there. Like, yeah, I, I feel like I'm uh, rehashing inside out, but um, <laughs> yeah, like it's, there's, there's some weird things where it's just like, Oh Yeah. I'll remember this forever. And it's like, fuck no, you won't. So many like, of Bill's memory orbs are graying at the bottom of a canyon. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I mean, Bill, I totally. You're going the way of bing bong. <laughs> I'm not saying I disagree because your experience is your experience, but I have such a completely different relationship with memory where I actually found that condescending on the part of the, on, on the part of um, Joaquin's. Joaquin character yeah because well, let's not forget that bill has the memory of a goldfish yes <laughs> i <What>? have <laughs> i don't know what i have the memory of um elephant elephants yeah i mean if i guess that's the best analogy here but i my memories i have very strong memories going back to like age two and a half and it the way the best way i can describe it is like i feel like younger me like I, I feel connected to all these timelines in my life as if they're still happening. Like they're so potent to me that the it's like the reels are constantly playing or that like I could easily go back in time and have a conversation with, you know, my, well, my no, child no, self. Well, no so, fucking wonder you don't like revisiting movies. You're like, I've, I've already fucking seen this thing. Like, right. yeah. And I, mean, I revisit yes. a movie like three months later and I'm like, oh shit, I've forgotten so much of this. Oh, Wait, this is he enjoyable. was a ghost the whole time? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I actually like, oh, don't fuck. remember plots. That's all why that well. they're like, old? <laughs> I usually better remember how a movie makes me feel than any one particular scene. But yes, like, I, my relationship to memory is so. Um, it can be really, it, it can be really not confusing because I don't confuse reality or, I mean, it's not like, it's not like a, a hallucination or something like that, but I can, I have such a strong visual memory and so, such a strong emotional memory. I can remember conversations I had with people. I can remember like details of those, of those interactions. Um, and I still get angry about things that happened 20 years ago about if that impacts people who are all dead at this point. Robin, so, well, Robin, <laughs> once again, that's the the Jewish slash Italian nature because I have that too. <laughs> what were you going to uh, say, Bill? So, so I'm curious if you've read this idea of memory is like a physical hard drive, and in the sense of it's not a flash memory; it's a physical like a hard drive memory in mm-hmm. that 
the more you access it, the more it fractures. And this is something that like goes back to courts, uh, court systems and like mm-hmm. research into the psychology of eyewitnesses and things like this, where they basically will try and sequester an eyewitness as much as possible from trying to rehash what happened because the more times they tell that story, the less details they can recall and the less times they can kind of accurately depict like what happened and things like that. The idea is that the first time you're remembering the incident and then the second time you're remembering your memory of the incident. And then the third mm-hmm. time you're remembering, you're remembering of so, the memory of yeah, the incident. It's, so it's, well, like, it's this idea that you're creating a narrative from from those flashes. And so then it's actually like less of a memory and more of a of a fictionalized right, it becomes recreation. The, it's the story that you told yourself and you're trying to you're retelling that story, but every time you tell it, you're impacting it. You're not you're not describing a painting. Right. Every time that you it's speak like of the painting, it is being yes. created again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's mm, and mean, it's not perfect. I could see that, but I don't know. It's maybe Clearly I'm Robin just being precious. Have that problem because Robin is I I don't have that problem. Robin, Robin works in flash memory, so she's like, <laughs> "Fuck you guys. You guys are are using physical discs. You guys are ancient. Like I'm 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 new. I'm hip. I'm I'm what's happening." Well, I'm not well, saying I did, but like, I'll me, remember watch things me like, validate. "Oh yeah, that one time that we went to Cheesecake Factory and I ordered all that bread and I ate and I drank too much water. And so my stomach inflated and I couldn't eat my Turkey medallions. (laughs) You, you fucking pigeoned yourself. (laughs) I'm just saying like, those are the details that I, that I really react to. And that's why like, I really, I went through this thing a couple of um, maybe like a year ago where I was trying to access like all of the movies I've ever seen in my life so that I could oh, Jesus Christ. put them down oh. in letterbox. Oh God. Dude, yeah. That's like, tough. I am. I'm almost there. Like I have pretty much logged like every movie I have seen since the age of like two and a half that I can even remember things that I didn't even know were real movies that I thought just made them up. And then when I Googled them, it was like, Oh yeah. Like, oh, you mean Sinbad? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. No, you mean Shazam, which was the no, other I, genie movie that involved Sinbad. Unlike I knew Kazam. what he was referring to. Yes, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. That happened I, at the I, distillery yeah. yesterday because we've started serving cocktails. By the way, if you're in the DC area and would like to get served a drink by me, come to the Schmidt Spirits Distillery on the weekends. We're serving cocktails now, and <laughs> there there was a group of people, and they were talking to another group of people about uh, DC versus Marvel because you can't escape this shit anywhere you go, and. And someone said, like, do you know they're making a sequel to Shazam? And Arthur, my partner at the distillery, says, oh, my God, really? And seemed really excited. And the girl's like, yeah, they are. He's like, isn't that movie from like 30 years ago? Oh my and God. she said, what? And he said, with like Shaquille <laughs> O'Neal? And I just like died laughing. Yeah. I was well, like, and that's, that's the made up Sinbad movie. Yeah. I, mean, I was yeah. like, that's Kazam, you goon. The rapping yeah. genie movie. He's like, oh, shit. And I always knew that was bullshit because I knew what Kazam was because I remember seeing the movie. Anyway, the point is, I was just Googling like all these random like Italian animes that I, I, mean, I don't even know. The point is, I remember. <laughs> wow. wow. I was 
I remembered all this shit. Like my memory. And, and she she watched it the non dubbed version too. She yeah. she no, watched full fucking well. subtitles. Yeah, um, at two and a half. So here's what I'll say that you both in your so reaction to so so he says that to the kid, and I think that you both are correct to be both either um, comforted by that or agree with him or to find it to be condescending because as that child says in this movie, his mother tells him that even though they love each other, they'll never actually know everything about each other. So like mm-hmm. that, that, that um, beautiful as well. I don't, you know, it's basically she's teaching the kid about solipsism, <laughs> you know, but yeah, it's, it's that idea uh-huh. that you'll, you'll never fully understand another human being. And the only existence you can't drop that word and just and just move on sir you don't know what solipsism is no why the fuck would i know what that means i don't know exactly robin greg do you know what solipsism is no you got yourself into this mess bro (laughs) solipsism is is basically this philosophical idea that you you are the only thing that you can be certain has like a full consciousness and intelligence and and broken down into a little less of like a nihilistic way of looking at it is just that you are the only person you can ever wholly know, you know, because you're the okay. only person that you're inside. So yeah, it's, okay. it can be yeah, used as a solips- way to like, solipsism sounds a lot more than, you know, even though we love each other and we will have all of our lives to, or all the rest of her life to uh, try and get to know each other that like, we just won't. And I found that kind of comforting in a, in a kind of, let me tell you kid, like you can't ask me everything because if you keep asking me everything, it's going to drive me crazy. But also did you, so you, you kind of felt like, Oh, it's like a, a statement about the complexity of humanity and like, just like how they're constantly growing. Not like the fact that you can just never fully interrogate a person. Well, also like you will never be able to ask another person all the questions that encompasses who they are right like there will always be things that like oh well like because most people do not have a yes or no answer to a lot of things right like do you like bacon yes do you like bacon (laughs) if it's covered in chocolate and then they pause and they're like, hmm. And then it's like, okay, so there are wrinkles to this. You don't just like bacon, right? It's like, but if you cover it in certain things, right? If you give me nuance of that question, there's a lot of things where, you know, like I I did this for Erica. She doesn't like surprises, but um, I asked her one day, do you like key lime pie? She was like, I love key lime pie. Like, you know, I'm, I, she grew up in the Florida or going to visit her parents or grandparents in the Florida area. And they always had like key lime pie. And so I was like, do you like dark chocolate? She loves dark chocolate. I was like, cool. I'm going, I didn't tell her this. I'm going to make you a dark chocolate covered key lime pie cake so it's key lime pie flavor with dark chocolate icing and i was like this is gonna be great this is gonna be awesome it's two of her favorite things (laughs) the acid of the lime contrasting with the bitterness of the chocolate Uh, Hmm. 
<laughs> Greg's Greg's my, uh, my fiance is an enthusiastic baker and I have the headphones on and I heard her shriek in horror all the way upstairs. <laughs> like, that is... So so I have a friend that is a she doesn't do them custom but she does like bake on the side and so like i asked her to do this and she was like yeah this sounds cool like what clearly clearly she was like i don't know if this is gonna fucking taste any good but like i'll i'll do my damnedest and so yeah i fucking loved it erica took one bite and she finished her pie slice politely and looked at me and she said you're going home with this and no, i was just like never okay. do that again <laughs> and so like again it's one of those things i asked her one thing confirmed i asked her another thing confirmed combined them not confirmed right and it's just like well fuck so you know you'll um, never know another human being Exactly. I feel like you're that's that's a weird conflation because if you <laughs> add a thing to another thing, you've created a new thing. Okay? That's like like sure. I love my dog, I love hamburgers. If you made a hamburger out of my dog, I would not fucking enjoy it and you wouldn't have a right to you be like You wouldn't fucking know the difference. <laughs> I would but I couldn't find my dog. <laughs> Uh-oh. But yeah. So, like I said, there are there are wrinkles and nuances. So anyway, the, the dark the chocolate key lime pie uh, is an illustration of the truth of solipsism, according to Bill Graham. <laughs> I like the idea of uh, of a column called "The World According to Bill Graham." <laughs> it would be very nuanced. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm so lost. probably be black and white. I will. I have. I do have to say that speaking of solipsistic, you know experiences or whatever i oh, wait know robin so of- answer answer this question yes. you knew what a solipsism was before i said it right yes i did but i okay. i don't know if i would have phrased it that particular way but i think it's helpful i'm not saying you did it wrong i, I don't think i would have been able to define it very well oh okay. so i appreciate That's that you um it, it's like the it's like the it's just like self-reflexive uh it's hard for me to put into words but i know what it means without right without the actually putting the definition together. What were you going to ask about that? No, just because Bill reacted like solipsism was a thing I made up, and I was just trying to confirm that it was a thing that other people might oh, know. No, 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 weird. sir. No, sir. That That is not my reaction. My reaction was that it was a multi-syllable word that I had not uh, uh, defined I just yet. Wanted, and so, I wanted someone like, to tell me that they also knew what it was, just so I could feel a little less weird about it. No, no. Please. If anything, you want to be the the pedantry expert, or like the the what did you call it? Like the pedantic, the pedant. I was. I don't know what the yes. word is. Yeah, you're the pedant in this scenario. I clearly yeah. am not. Um, I forgot what I was going to no, say. I'm- oh yeah. So I've heard solipsistic used as a synonym for narcissistic as well. Um, I don't know if it's an exact synonym, but I've heard it's, it. It is not. Way. A narcissist is a person who's fully invested only in themselves. A solipsist would be someone who can admit to the fact that they will only ever know themselves. Now, you can use a solipsism as a, a way of defending your narcissism. Like, I can't prove you're real, so why should I give a fuck about you? But like... You know, you could do that with almost anything. So I can't even prove I'm real. I'm pretty sure I'm just a simulation. 
I mean, that's okay. what I think, I feel, but that's because I, f- I am a solipsist. <laughs> I, f- I feel like we're we're diving deep into the uh, Matrix uh, glossary at this point. So, oh god, can you imagine if Robin and I had been on the Matrix episode? Oh god, it would have been just three it hours been long. A fucking shit show of just throwing yeah. out like anecdotes about our lives and psychology <laughs> terms. So I was going to get back to the movie, actually. Please do. Just thinking about the philosophizing that happens in it, because I think that lost me a little bit because it was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like important conversations about life and, you know, life with a capital L and teaching and getting into the weeds with kids and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And and so I remember it losing me a little bit in those moments that felt meandering, but I think that's kind of like the point of the movie, right? It's just that, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but parenting does seem sort of like this Sartre-esque, no exit, constant repeat of the same thing over and over again until your kid is like 18. Is that not how it is? That's the, what do you, uh, you, I don't know. You think it's like a like a Kafka, like a Sartre, not a Kafka, a, a Sartre esque. Why are you repeating? I, I'm trying to understand. <laughs> so you think that like I'm just doing this? First of all, that's the craziest fucking thing I've ever heard. Like that's good because I want kids, but I don't want five it to be years hellish. ago. Six years ago, my child didn't exist. Okay, out in the world, you know, she was inside of my now ex wife's stomach. No, she was in her womb. Uterus. Womb, shut up. I know. I'm sorry. Whenever I talk to my child, she asks, because I know a lot she's of pregnant women. She's in her women. tum-tum. Right. She's like, it's in her tummy. And I don't want to be like, actually, she's in her uterus. Oh. Or not her uterus, well, her womb. Maybe and, you know, you all this other stuff. realistic anatomy words with her. Ugh, so I, you know, I like try to hit a balance with that. Like, I don't want to be like, oh, yeah, you got like a boob, like, you know. But I'm not about to like try Boo-boo. to explain the innards you, of the You have a being. surface abrasion, sir. <laughs> right. You have a subcutaneous hematoma. No, no. All right. So like, okay, six years ago, she was not out and about, right? And then a year ago, she couldn't, or no, like a year after that, she couldn't walk, right? Every day, she has leaps and bounds, light years different than she was the day before, you know? When I when I first had her, nothing in my life had to change materially, right? I could keep a loaded gun on the coffee table because she couldn't even lift her head up. And then day by day, she started to become mobile. She started to be able to kneel up. Then she could stand the, up. The guns have gotten she, higher and right, higher. The guns, <laughs> they've had to get higher and higher. Um, like, you know, you would say like, okay, well, this, my coffee cup is on the coffee table and it's fine because she can only crawl and she cannot reach the coffee table. And then one day she could reach the coffee table. But if I scooted the cup to the inside of the coffee table, like the middle of it, she couldn't reach it. Then suddenly mm. you couldn't have a cup out because she would grab it. But you could put stuff on the counter and then you couldn't have it on the edge of the counter. And now she can reach the faucet in the kitchen on her own. There is, and, and like she went from not knowing any words to suddenly speaking and being able to make demands of things. And then you couldn't reason with her. And now I can reason with her. And now she understands consequence and cause and effect. And every day I have to wonder what new skill she has acquired that is going to make my life either easier <laughs> or harder or both. A Furby? At the same time. Yeah, well, you said it was Spider-Man. like a constant repetition. Okay. But like, you're not, it's not like... 
it's not like you've got uh, a dog that you're like, okay, like, you know, now that we're out of the puppy phase, I can reasonably assume the next seven to eight years are going to be the same. You have a constantly evolving learning (laughs) organism in your house that you have to deal with. You know, like the concept that raising a child could be a Sartre-esque repetition is insanity. It's nuts. That's not it at all. And the fact that people can try to make it sound like that probably means they're not paying enough attention to their children. And their children are going to walk all over them when they become teenagers. Maybe. I mean, not not everybody is a good parent. Like, oh, 100%, that's one thing no. we, we have to like deal with yeah, in terms if anybody of reality. Knows that's Brian. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the other thing is that I can see if you work like to be fair, Brian, you also work from home, right? And yes. you've been working from home for a long time. Yes. So like you are able to go pick up your child when they get off of school, yes. right? So you have been an integral part of your child's like childhood Correct. to this point. Whereas I feel like a lot of working adults, right, when they have kids, they are in the middle of their career and oftentimes do not have that luxury of just like spending that with their child. Right, which right? is a tragedy. And I don't I don't like yeah. that. But I also so, am not so gonna I can, I'm not the type of person who's gonna be like, oh my God, like you know, take six months off and be with your kid. Like, that's not a feasible thing. Sure. I would never try to make anyone feel bad about the fact that they're working to maintain their life and their child's life. Like, but, but what I'm saying here is I feel like if you are working a nine to five, right, if you're in a typical office environment, right, and you come back home, right, from six till nine o'clock, right, in that three hour window, I don't know how much radically you can tell that your your child has changed, right? Like, it's not like, oh, now I have See, to move my coffee. That's an interesting, like, that's an interesting view, Bill, because I feel like you'd feel it even more. That would be like the kind of cats in the cradle type of situation mm-hmm. where you're like, Harry Chapin just being so, like, oh, hey, suddenly my kid's driving. It's like you so, blinked and they're a kid. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think what I have to understand is where is the headspace of parents when they get off of work, right? Are they ready to re-engage with, you know, a small evolving human? Uh, or as Robin liked to phrase it, a Furby that uh, is mobile, <laughs> right? Like, like how a Furby much that also am gets I willing? Bigger. I feel like... I feel like we really need to lean on <laughs> yeah, the physical more, changes too. More. Like the Furbies from the Mar- the Mitchells versus the Machines. I did not F- see perfect. That, but yes, yes. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that movie very much, especially that sequence. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I I definitely see a lot of people like not having that kind of bandwidth because I know I know like for certain like Erica oftentimes like just does not have any bandwidth left when she's done with work for most of the time like and and that's with me right her partner Mm -hmm. right and i'm like okay like you know and it it is what it is right uh you know i have to kind of like i can't push that i can't be like well can't you be better like no (laughs) that's just me you know it's just like okay i I will say and this goes back to what we talked about last week with uh what's gonna call it the tragedy macbeth i am a man who is blessed with a lack of ambition in my career Mm -hmm. i just i just don't care that much about my job and I sure. so like my my daughter has always been 
since her since her conception the thing that is most important to me right so like but i but your job also is a lower stakes job Right. Are you I mean, are you putting out fires? Sixty million minute, dollars worth of federal funding for the you but, know but betterment you of a, the healthcare a, for veterans would say no. But like, you know, I have I would say that I have a fairly important job. I would also say that I am very good at it and I've gotten myself to a point where I don't have to try that hard to be good at it. Uh-huh. And yeah. I did that on purpose because my main goal in life is to be I won't say my main goal in life. The most paramount thing that I do in any given day, no matter how long I am with my child, is being the father of my child. Mm -hmm. Even when she's at her grandparents' house and she's not here and I don't have to look after her, I am still in that day most dedicated to being a good father. And I don't know how I'm going to do it. It might just be cleaning the house a little extra for when she comes home. It might be like changing her room around so it's more space for her Mm -hmm. to play. That's still the thing I'm doing. And I know that not everyone like is like that. I know a lot of parents who are very good parents, but who still are like most dedicated to their work. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. But that's not me. And that's one of the reasons why, like, you know, I am the way that I am. Like, I, I, I find it interesting, though, because because it wasn't a criticism, but it was a inability to relate to the uh the female mom in female mom jesus christ uh to the mother in in this film with her engagement or her like disengagement with her child to then focus on her past previous husband i don't know what they are at this point but uh her her former partner right and right. I found I mean, that he is interesting. played by Scoot McNary, so clearly you want to take care of him. <laughs> Scoot. Uh, Scoot, but yeah, I, I I find that interesting because that like that is potentially a pro. Uh, I don't like phrasing. It can it be like a stumbling that, but, block for a viewer. No, no, no. I I mean, I think in her life that is potentially something that she can help solve itself or help correct to the point where it is no longer in crisis, whereas her child is not in crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Her child is going to be relatively okay because most children, right, they're they're fairly elastic in all sorts of different ways, right? Like, that is... Yes, many children can be stretched over three times their initial length. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, that is is just children in general, right? Uh, The smaller... That is a natural evolution of animals is that the small... Oftentimes, yes, they're weaker, but they're also very resilient. Resilient, right? Yeah. Well, so um, I, you know, and now so that, I find that interesting. On, on the subject, I guess of of the kind of setup, you know, Robin having been talking about the plottiness of this movie, and us now talking about this question of like Viv's, you know, I won't say abandonment, but like willingness to relinquish her child to her brother in order to take after or look after her husband. Greg, is that something that like ever you ever stumbled on that you've kind of grown in your your feelings towards or your understanding of as you've watched the movie more? I mean, you're, you're our best resource for this kind of question because you've seen the movie three times. In terms of Viv's decisions? Right. Like when you first saw it, did you say like, yes, yes, of course, she's got to go take care of her estranged or like separated husband. And like, have you, have you, has that been any part of your evolution of opinion on this movie? Not particularly. I think I've, I've kind of always been okay with her, 
decision to do that. Um, and I think for me, the, the biggest thing that has grown is I guess her, a, her presence in the film, even though she's not with Johnny and um, Jesse, uh, like during their scenes together, but she's Mm -hmm. always like kind of through the phone and she's always a constant presence in both, you know, the influence that she has had on Jesse and the connection that she had and lost with Johnny. I love the way it interweaves like kind of all these elements of the past few years of all Mm -hmm. of their lives. Um, You know, when Jesse kind of brings up these little things like, you know, why don't you and my mom talk anymore? You know, you guys act like brother and sister. And then there's the one where he's like, did you tell my mom that she should leave my dad? And he was like, you know, and he has to like defend himself and you can tell, through all these details, you know, the mother's death. Um, I don't think they ever mention the, like their dad or anything like that. So it, it seems like he was never mm-hmm. in the picture. So there's like mm-hmm. all these layers that kind of keep coming into play. Like the more I associate it with it, the more I think about it, the more I sit with it. And for me, those are the films that I'm often drawn to is the ones that kind of just linger in your mind and lead lead you down different avenues of thought, even if it's not related to the movie itself, just because it sets up all these themes and, and pathways for, for ruminating on things a lot. So that for me was the biggest growth, I guess, across three viewings. Yeah. I, I found, I found the mother's involvement seemed like she was, you're right. It, even though she is not physically there, she definitely has like an outsized like role still in the raising of her child at a distance. Right. And like has all of these tips and tricks and, you know, all of these ins and outs of, you know, Hey, like (laughs) this is how to talk to this child. Right. You talk to him like a human. You don't talk to him like a dog or something like that. Right. You don't lie to him because that's just not going to help. Right. Because he's smart enough to kind of understand when he's being lied to and when he isn't right um <clears throat> so yeah that's that's interesting i liked when she I said there was like a script to like talking about him after you've had like a blow up with him mm-hmm. yeah Which, doing a doing a repair doing yeah. a repair yeah. yeah which is i mean it's I, I have done that with my daughter you know when stuff like that happens but it feels weird to like it, and this is the thing i've actually like found myself becoming more and more sensitive to when it crops up these concepts of like having scripts or like giving um giving names to like aspects of like general relationships uh there was a tweet that got made fun of viciously uh not not too long ago where someone said like hey like if your friends need you and you're like you know you don't have the emotional bandwidth for it like say (laughs) like you know, thank you. And, or like, you know, I don't have the time and or bandwidth to, you know, but if you have another resource, please reach out to that. It was like the most HR thing you could ever say to like a friend. Does everyone remember this tweet? I feel like it's famous. I remember this tweet. Yeah. It was, it was cringy. It was super cringy, but I feel like we've been slipping more towards allowing that to be a thing. And so like a moment like that in this movie, when she talks about like having a script to do a repair, with a child, I was just like, ugh. Ah. And I see like TikToks about that all the time too. As there as as more and more parents migrate to TikTok and like you start to get into like mom talk and everything. It's uh 
it's, it's very it's very weird and awkward to see that because like i feel like my daughter and i just have like a very natural relationship like you know don't have to like break things down in that way like it's it's a it's strange and this is again why when i began this i was like i don't understand do i like just preternaturally gifted at being a father or like do i have the coolest easiest kid ever someone at church today said she always just seems so happy and i was like i don't you know she is like (laughs) I (laughs) i don't think you know, she's five years old. What is she going to have like a sullen day where she's like, oh, I just keep thinking about my future dad and I just don't know if I'm making the right life choices. But I guess that's a thing, you know, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like people complicate parenthood a lot. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's certainly not an easy thing to do, you know, looking after a child and keeping them alive and seeing to their social and emotional development. But like, there is an aspect of it that's just like make sure that they're safe and happy and that doesn't mean giving in to them on everything that they want but it's at the end of the day do they feel as though they are looked after and protected and that you care about them you know mm-hmm. and like i think that that's that that is a thing that like it's it's a simplified thing to say and i'm sure people will hang me for it but like that's what i've been doing and it seems to be doing all right so far and um yeah, so like I said, it's interesting when I see a movie like this where we where we see a little more <laughs> Brian, of like the Brian J. Rowan's uh, book on parenting. Not that fucking hard. What are y'all doing, dipshits? <laughs> well, I, so I put it. I, I a friend of mine was was again talking about something that they saw on TikTok where it's like, you know, gentle parenting or like something about how like um like this person was like, yeah, the other day, like I, I broke down crying in front of my kids and I, I like, you know, from a depressive episode or something. And then I just sat them down and said like something. And I was like, you know, I understand like your kids like three years old. Right. So like you, you probably don't have to explain it to them in the, the depths that you went to, but also like in the, in its most basic way, children to a certain point are incredibly selfish and they don't care if you're having a bad day. All they know is they just saw God crying. And like, that's, Mm -hmm. that's like, maybe just go into another room if you have to do that. Like, it's not bad to let your kids see that you have emotions, but to center yourself in that way. And like, again, if, if the, if the point of parenthood is to try to make a kid feel safe and everything, I can't imagine how that kid would feel the next time they have a problem if they know that their mom has a problem, which is a thing that has come up a couple times in my life with my daughter wherein it's just like there's there is a parent who seems to be the one that gets leaned on more in times of emotional distress because i think that you know a kid who who wants to be in a happy household will attempt to do the emotional heavy lifting to ensure that an upset parent is not upset anymore because Mm -hmm. children are innately like mostly people pleasers and so if you put that on your child that's a strain that they're going to have to do at a young age that they don't really need yeah i i don't know that people that have depressive episodes get to pick and choose though right and that's that's totally understandable but at the same time like you know it's i i could understand like talking to your children about it when they're older but like i don't think you need to try to make your you know elementary school age child super well versed sure. in your your diagnosis yeah and i think that this movie does a good job about that like you know she she talks about how he's like he's testing your boundaries you know he wants to see if you're gonna follow him onto that bus like you know 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's it's almost like that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, in a way he is like saying like, am I safe with you? Like, are you the type of person who's going to follow me? Who's going to make sure I'm all right? So I think that there's a lot of things like that in this movie that are like super well observed. I again, I just there's a there's a part of me that's like, again, it's it's not it's not Mike Mills fault that he made like a perfect movie with beginners. And now I have to measure <laughs> everything up against it. I don't know. Wait, this is a good question. So, so what have other people thought about Mike Mills' previous work? Like, Greg, did you do you also think The Beginners is one of the best of the the new millennium? <laughs> so, I mean, do you I, think it's the greatest film of all time? No. Do you sure. agree that Beginners is amazing, or are you wrong? <laughs> I I personally love Beginners. I haven't seen go. it since it came out, but I I loved it um, when I saw it. Um, I will say, I think I've heard so many people say exactly what you're saying about Beginners about. 20th century women and me personally i would say all the stuff you're saying about beginners about come on come on i think all he i think he's made a you know a bunch of strong films i haven't seen his first film thumbsucker um yeah i haven't seen thumbsucker either i think he makes very strong films about kind of like families and makeshift families and connections we make and just kind of you know, people being kind to each other and having conversations with one another. And they're all just really well observed. And I think at the end of the day, it kind of comes down to your personal connection and what you get out of these observed worlds that he's bringing you. I think they're just, I think he's a very, very keen filmmaker into just emotional insights and and all that. So I think little things from one film or another might stand out to you most. And that might make it your, you know, favorite Mike Mills, but I've heard, all three talked about in the same way I would talk about come on, come on in the way you're talking about beginners and the way I've heard people talk about 20th century women. That's so a, that's, that's a actually sign of a pretty good filmmaker. I was about to say that, that actually, I like, I, I haven't, my, my circle of friends is not the type of people who would see out Mike Mills films. Um, so I hadn't heard that before, but like, yeah, I think you're right. That's the sign of an incredibly gifted filmmaker that, you know, three different movies people could, you know, talk about in the same way, even though it's not, the same for any one person. I mean, like I was thinking about today because there's a part of me that sometimes I wonder, like, am I just, am I just an easy lay? If I like, like a director, like, am I just always going to like <laughs> stuff? Like, you know, no, that Ter- can't, that no, like Terrence Malick puts out a movie and everyone's like, well, Brian's going to love it. And I'm like, look, look, I know that that's been the case for the past, I don't know, 30 years, but you know, he could fuck up. It's possible. But then I think about it. I was like, well, I've not, I haven't just liked a Terrence Malick movie. I haven't disliked a Darren Aronofsky movie. I haven't disliked like, I don't know, an S. Craig Zoller movie. Like, you know, is there is there a guy who I like fell in love with one of his movies and then I didn't like another one? And I was like, okay, no, wait. I wasn't a fan of 20th Century Woman. And I also was not a fan. I fucking hated the lobster. No, not the lobster. I hated the killing of a sacred deer. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, yeah, I have that ability. I have the ability to say if I don't like someone's work. How introspective of you, Brian. <laughs> I become worried about things like this because that's the problem is that like I don't want to be like, what do they call it? Like a fanboy or a stan or whatever, a Nolan bro, even though I, you know, just by dint of never oh, having boy. disliked a Christopher Nolan movie, I guess I am one. But I am <laughs> fully capable of watching a movie by someone whose work I admire and saying, no, not this one. No, n- no sir. Put it back. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. 
Anyway, so I feel like what did this movie do for us? <laughs> it somehow led us to like one of the most in-depth psychological conversations about growing up and parenthood and memory that we've ever had on this show. Okay, here's here's a question. Yes. Um obviously you have a child and it's like, you know, the greatest endeavor that you will ever do in your life. Um yes. and you want to do it more. So we got you. I do want to uh, do it more. That's the weird way to <laughs> Wait, do you mean like I want to continue to raise my child or I would like more children? You you want to collect more children, hopefully uh, a son Yeah, I got to well. catch them all. Yeah, I, got, I was yeah, about exactly. to say, thank you, Bill. Uh, Robin, that's um, so we, the most know- terrible way that you could say I would like to have more children is I want to collect more children. I'm not wandering around with free peanut butter and jelly sandwiches Fucking- hoping to catch an orphan. Like- Ansel and Gretel over here. <laughs> I'm not the pied um, fucking piper. <laughs> The Just whistling baby piper. shark on a penny whistle, hoping that I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, Bill, uh, maybe you've already answered this. Do you want children? And how does this movie make you feel about kids? And I'm going to ask the same question of you, Greg. So get ready. <laughs> get ready. Um. So I will say that. When I was younger, much younger, I thought I wanted kids. And the more I grow up, the more I realize that I don't really want kids. Um, A, because every time that I've been around and I've had this reaction and I've shared this before and I've heard very similar things from other people that end up having kids, but my reaction to given the opportunity to hold like a newish born baby, right? Like a toddler. I'm like, fuck no. Like, no, those are two different things. You're talking about like fresh meat, or you're talking about like something that has a personality. What the fuck? What, Robin? Jesus Christ. (laughs) Pokemon trainer. (laughs) (laughs) My husband and I, whenever we pass, like, whenever we pass a a baby, we're like, that one looks fresh, like, fresh out of, like, fresh out out of Compton. (laughs) It's like still powdery. Um, Versus a toddler that is like basically I mean, a human. A toddler it's, is by definition now toddling around. Like it's it's yeah. up and about. You would not like, be handed. Usually, you would not be handed a toddler and and told to like no, the, hold the, it. The toddler right? would run up to you and demand. Be exactly. Picked up. <laughs> yeah, that is that is a completely different story. Right. But fresh, anytime fresh I've given, meat, as Robin called Jesus it, Christ. will be handed to you. A toddler Any, will anytime, demand to be handled. Anytime a small child has been offered to be handed to me, I've like vehemently refused. A because I'm scared. Not shitless. even politely. No, A, because I'm scared shitless, but also B, I would get very bored very quickly because I would look at its eyes, see that it's not really paying attention because it can't, right? And then realize, like, this thing has no interest in me. I have no interest in it. What the fuck are we doing here? Okay, let's backtrack for a second. I disagree that the baby is not paying attention. Um, In fact, it's paying so much attention that it's building neural pathways as you're looking at it, it's like, whoa, 
I but want it's not oh, looking I, at me. I want a parenting podcast that is hosted by Robin and Bill before either of them has ever had a child. <laughs> <laughs> just like I want parents to send you questions and for you to just answer them based off of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Bill's just like, yeah, your kid you. doesn't know what's going on. You can totally shoot heroin in front of it. And Robin's just like, absolutely not. <laughs> it knows everything. It will remember everything. <laughs> yeah. Robin's like, I, I have distinct memories of, of the anime that I, I read subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> it was dubbed in English. Okay. 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 Um, Anyways. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was about so to say, yeah. Bill, it's it's kind of weird because like I have memories, and my daughter does this at church. Actually, it's super cute. So we're at church, and we know one of the couples, and it's the couple that actually said she always seems so happy, and they have just had a child, and it's at the stage where like it's just in that little the thing that you the the bas the the basket, I guess is the way to put mm-hmm. it. Like you know, you hold it and you clip it into the car seat, but like the baby is not up and about; it's not moving. It's like only a couple months old. But my daughter will look over the pew down at this baby and the baby will look back at her and they will just like make faces at each other. <laughs> and it's, um, yeah, it's one of those things where I, I see that happening. I'm like, oh, God, I need to have another child. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, God, I better get back on OkCupid. Oh, wait, nobody's on here except other losers like me. Cause Actually, can- everyone on OkCupid is like, I'm never having children. I believe that all oh, children no. should be put to death. Um <laughs> You got to be 420 and bath salts friendly. And I'm just like, yeah, I might be in the wrong place. Like, maybe I do need to get on, like, Farmers Only or Christian Mingle or something. No, seriously. Do they have, like, Catholic Hangout or something? Catholic. Yeah, uh, let me just Google Catholic (laughs) Hangout or something. Catholic (laughs) Hangout or something. I I know somebody in the D.C. area who mm, she probably doesn't want more children. She's divorced. <laughs> How many children mm. does she have? Two. Oh, that's not the most I've ever heard of someone having. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think she's over having kids uh, <laughs> because of the trauma of her divorce. But anyway, um, so Bill, so when you're handed a baby, are you like afraid its head is going to fall off while you're like sitting there? Like what, <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. Anything can happen. That's, that's the <laughs> issue. Right. So, so, you know, uh, I do not want to be handed that responsibility. I feel like you, you you spent nine months of your life, like trying to get this into the world. Don't, don't hand me this thing. Um, right. This is more responsibility than I want right now. I don't want to drive your brand new car. I don't want to hold your brand new kid. Exactly. Exactly. Um, even though we have insurance for these things, I that's that's not a situation that I you know I want to get involved in. Um, but the other thing is that also, like, I'll be very honest. Eric and I both haven't had jobs where we've had a lot of freedom autonomy in terms of what we get to do and how we get to do it until recently. So I'm in my mid thirties now, and it wasn't until about four or five years ago that like, I actually finally got a job where it was just like, Oh shit, I make enough money where I don't have to think about like how I'm going to pay for certain bills or stress out about them or do anything like that. Um, so like 
that's been kind of a revelation. And because I also got into a relationship, a long-term stable relationship around that same time, life has been coming at me very quickly, right? We bought a house. We got dogs. Now you bought a house. Jesus. Yeah. Were you so, rich? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, keep so, in mind, that's know, a, that's a Texas house. So yes, yeah. it's 6,000 square feet with seven bedrooms, but it also only costs $67. Right. right. Uh, that is, that is the opposite of true, Brian. Our, <laughs> our Texas homes are uh, going through the roof right now. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. Right now. It's on the coasts. Cause are, all the rich people in yeah. the liberal cities are moving towards the heartland. <laughs> uh, there are the people belt. moving here from California by the, by the, yeah. Literally homes. what I just said. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, but that, and also just like, okay, trying to form my own identity. Do I like to travel? Right, like I've never had the opportunity to travel. Really, uh, it wasn't until uh, two years ago that I even got a passport. Right, and it's just like I haven't been outside of the country. I haven't done a lot of things, and so we keep talking about like all of these things. And guess what? having a kid is going to put a big break stop on a lot of that stuff. And, you know, it's one of those things where I'm just like, I don't know (laughs) if that's what I want in my life at present, because I'm really enjoying where I am in my life right now. Um, And it's, it's also just like, I feel like there is so much societal pressure on couples in particular, but also on women to have kids. And I've seen that fall out and I've seen that turn nasty very quickly um, where sometimes the relationship is not super stable and they think that having a kid will tighten up things. And sometimes I've seen it actually happen where it actually does make the couple quite a bit happier and um Mm. things like that but oftentimes i've seen it happen in the opposite direction where as soon as that kid is in the world it's just like just fireworks are just going off because not good fireworks no not like happy celebration Uh, fireworks no no not not chinese new year fireworks fireworks. (laughs) Yes. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, raising a kid is also a dynamic that you can't really prepare yourself for, um, with your partner until you actually live that experience. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, and also a lot of my friends, uh, have kids and I'm like, I'm through osmosis getting a lot of that. So I'm just like, all right, cool. Like, yeah, you're so. you're seeing it in action, and I presume the movie didn't have an impact on you that way at all. Like, didn't really change or help you reevaluate your thoughts on that, mm. or reinforce. I think it reinforced it in a little mm-hmm. bit, but I mean, also, you know, this kid is not a real kid, right? So, you know, he is going no, to he's, be he's British and he talks with an American accent the whole damn movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, Which but, there is you know, a trivia he, point on IMDb. I just read this and I needed to talk about it. Is it just says Woody Norman, Jesse, is actually British. So he's doing an accent the whole time. Like, <laughs> who wrote that? <laughs> who? <laughs> 
Who Lots. wrote new sentence? So he's doing an accent the whole time. Uh, uh, look, some of us need uh, solipsism uh, explained to us, and some of us don't. So you know, look, uh, solipsism, room- not solipsism. <laughs> Okay, sure. Uh, whatever you say. Made up word. Um, They're all made uh, up, Bill. Uh, yes, exactly. That's the beauty of it. Uh, thank you, Thor. That was brilliant. Um, yeah. Uh, so I think I think that kind of encapsulates uh, where I'm at in terms of kids. So. What about you, Greg? Oh, boy. What a loaded question. Um <laughs> Yeah, wait. First say, of all, we we don't we don't know Greg like that. Greg, are you in any kind of committed relationship right now? Yeah, yeah. I um, my fiance Alex and I have been together for about eight years. Oh, okay. Nine. How long have you been engaged? Yeah, we're getting nice. married in getting married in May. It was going to be Thank last you. year, but then the that whole uh, COVID thing that's still happening it really fucked things <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah, so it just kept happening. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just kept happening over and over and over. Yep. Um. But in terms of the whole kids thing, I will say that about two and a half weeks ago, we got a puppy and um, a, that is, is as much responsibility as I we need in our life right now. And, and B, I don't have to explain climate change or systemic inequality or anything to the dog. Like it'll <laughs> still be a happy being and, and love me. And I, I don't have to kind of put it into that, that world we're currently living in. Uh, and I think that's my biggest thing right now is just like, that inner turmoil of like, yes, I spent most of my life being like, I want kids, you know, big Italian family, like, you know, like my, my dad's siblings and like, you know, their, their kids and then their kids. And like uh, just this whole big family tree was all, you know, that's what I grew up in. So I was like, Oh, cool. And then just like, I feel like from like 20 to like my, my twenties into my early thirties was just like kind of a downward, just like, do I want to? And then just like, more and more leaning towards no, but always open to it. But currently, no, I would say. <laughs> hmm. yeah. And the movie, did that impact you at all? Or, or did you think of yourself as Woody when you were watching it? Mm, I, I feel like there's a way to kind of insert yourself into everyone in that movie. I mean, I guess depending on where you're coming from. But I, I don't know if it really reinforced or I guess it did reinforce it. I think the the conversations that the kids have, like that whole, you know, this American lifestyle, you know, thing that interweaves throughout the movie is really interesting. And just in terms of like these honest things that the kids are saying and the way they're interpreting the world, like makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of the movie argues that thing about like giving these younger people agency, you know, uh, as human beings and, and with people with valuable things to say. Um and I think also, even if you don't have your own, you know, kids, um, you can have a relationship like Johnny and Jesse. I mean, I love my niece and my nephew. I'm watching them grow up and I'm still trying to forge those types of bonds with them. Um, and I think as long as you have those connections, you know, whether it is by blood or not, you know, there's still there's still ways to make tiny changes between the lives and, you know, help them grow and help them learn about the world and and be that person who you might not have had at, at that stage in your life. So there's always opportunities for, for that kind of connection. And I think for me, that was the biggest thing that come on, come on did was talk about those connections that we make, you know, whether you're a young person, you know, an older person, 
whether you've known a person your whole life, whether a person's just starting their own life, you know, all, all this stuff. So I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. And, and I think the movie really enforces this idea that it takes a village. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that when you. It takes a Greenwich village. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're canceled. Um, I know what I was going to say is like it, when you have a family that's so insular that it's basically isolated, like the relationship or like the, you know, the three person family that, um, that Gabby and Scoot have you really do a disservice to the child because it, then it just, your world is so small. Um, I think one of the, I guess I can't even say regret because I can't regret something that's out of my control. But one of the things that makes me a little bit sad is that my husband and I, uh, if, and when we do have kids, like we don't, we're not really close. I mean, he's not really close to this, his large Italian family. Um, Cause they all are live very far away from each other. And I don't, I have one family member left, basically. Um, I'm either estranged or everybody else has passed. And so we don't really have this bosom of a family to give to our child. We don't have other people having input in, in this, you know, fictive, fictional person's life um, in the way that I really had that kind of um I had that kind of mentorship from other family members uh, and the way that my husband, you know, had tons of aunts and uncles on either side of the family. And there would be Sundays where they all hang out together. And it was like a very classic uh, childhood experience for him. So I think, oh, no, I'm going to have this like only child that's going to be hyper intellectual because they're going to be poorly socialized because they'll only have these two parents that are you know, up their own asses <laughs> with their own uh, pursuits, their own, you know, coastal elite bullshit. And they're going to be extremely lonely, And but they're not going to have like any other influence in their life, really. And it makes me a little bit sad for my future kid. And also sad for me because I can't really rely on family. Uh, if there was anything to ever happen, it would just be the two of us. And, you know, our, our daycare, I suppose. Um, mm. So the movie sort of reminded me of all of these little indignities, I suppose. Oh, I was about to say that doesn't yeah. sound great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like, well, maybe I should just vacation the rest of my life. <laughs> hmm. And then you can shower, you know, other friends, uh, kids with love and affection right yeah and, yes and take use them, them to new use York. them as a bomb on the wound that will never heal in your own <laughs> yeah. i don't know i was yeah, talking families to families are was, tough because that's one of the things that you just have very little control over you know right and and even if you have a lot of family around there's no guarantee that that's going to be a good environment for your kid anyway so mm-hmm. so that's another thing that i was gonna uh, you, not to not to just turn this into a giant group therapy session about like the state of the world and whether or not you want to have children but like i wonder how much of it is like based on how good you felt your own upbringing was because like mm-hmm. you know i had my parents are still together they're fucking awesome like my mom yeah worked, the, my dad the, the worked like you nation know nation of divorce and everything like that <laughs> what was that 
I said a nation of divorce and everything like that. Yeah. yeah. So like I'm sitting here and I'm like, yes, yes. My wife walked out on my daughter and I, and I had to like, you know, pick up the pieces and put together a life for us that we could exist in possibly without her if she didn't get her shit back together. But like my parents are still together. They're awesome. I feel like I can emulate both of them at the same time and give my daughter a good life. And thus I still have hope that I can find someone else to rebuild with. Like that makes perfect sense for me. But like, Maybe Bill's dad was a, a highway serial killer. And so that's one of the reasons he's not sure if he wants to have children. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's a possibility. Bill is neither confirming nor denying that his <laughs> father is a highway serial killer. <laughs> I think Woody Harrelson's father was a murderer. That makes sense to me. <laughs> and you're both from Texas. <laughs> mm. And you're both Interesting. from Texas. Oh man! So that's uh. Do we have any? Do we? Do we have any? We have we talked about? Come on, come on! <laughs> I feel like this movie doesn't exist. It's just sort of a platform for introspection. See that, and we've talked about movies like that, and I've and I've brought that up, and a lot of times I'll say like this movie would be better as a series of flashcards that I use to have a conversation during dinner, but I actually feel like this movie threads that needle and actually is a like I don't know if fun is the right word. It's it's a it's a thing that I enjoyed watching. Like it it didn't just feel like, you know, despite what I said about like the syllabus that the movie hands you, like further reading, um, it actually like was a good interpersonal character study, like to watch. And it's it's also like just nice that it, it does lead to these kinds of conversations. So despite the fact that we've kind of nibbled around the edges of the movie while using it as a springboard to talk about other things, I don't feel like this is one of those times where I'd say, like, this conversation is more interesting than the movie. Which I know I've done, like, three times in the past two months. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just, I thought it was over all around, well, I'll say this. Really solid movie anchored by really excellent performances. I don't know if I will remember a lot about it in a few years, but I'll remember the way it made me feel, which was warm. Warm. Just like warmed by the movie. Mm, fuzzy. I was Yeah. I was about to make Not a like, joke oh, I'm schwitzing. Sure it, <laughs> <laughs> it made me feel uncomfortably itchy. The movie <laughs> uncomfortably itchy. A lot of movies make me feel very itchy. I was going to say like, baby crazy. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> no, if anything, I'm like, oh my God, my kid's going to be a freak just like this one because I was just like him. I mean, he's a little, I don't know if freak is the right word. At least he's not like an entitled piece of shit. Like, you know, no. like his, the worst thing about him is that he pretends to be an orphan. Like today at the no, distillery. No, he's very manipulative oh. about it. <laughs> Today at the distillery, um, Aaron Desner, the uh, who's in the National, him and his brother Bryce um, do the score for the film. Mm-hmm. That his daughter actually does that, which is where Mike Mills got the idea from. Oh, so, interesting. So my yeah. my daughter will often say, like, pretend that I'm a rabbit and you found me and I'm cold and you say you're going to take me home. <laughs> That's and, so cute. Right. So today at the distillery, she was also a she was a puppy and an eagle. And it's One funny of those because things eats the other. 
Okay. Jesus, Robin. Jesus Christ, Robin. So first she was a puppy and I needed to rescue her from the wilderness, get her to trust me, and then train her. And I was like, all right, I can do this. And then the eagle, I had to watch the egg hatch, but not help. Because my daughter already knows that if you help a bird hatch out of its egg, it will die. Um, that was is that really true? Sh- or is it a book of myself? I don't know if that's like, I. it, it feels like the type of whoa, thing whoa, that like you tell you someone... Say? If you help a bird hatch out of its no, egg, no, no, it will no, die. No, 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 no. What Robin said, she yeah, said, I, "Is I, that I also true?" Didn't catch that. Or, or, or it's a bubba mice, like a like oh, an old wives' tale. You don't know a what a bubba, bubba mice. Do you no, not know any Jews, Bill? Uh, okay, so uh, I'll, I'll, <laughs> oh, no. I'll recap. I'll recap. Okay, if you say a multi multi syllable word <laughs> that's more than three. Probably have not Googled polysyllabic that. So don't words know what that scare yes. and confuse Bill Graham. <laughs> I don't want to have to Google things, so you are making me Google things. So say this again, Bubba. A Bubba. Uh-huh. Bubba Misa. Bubba. A bubba Wait, Misa. is it a? Okay, so is a Bubba Misa. <laughs> There's so a much Bubba. M Y S. Wait, what the fuck? Okay. Bubba. Is this a band? What the fuck is this? <laughs> I would love if there was a band called Bubba Misa and they were punk rock and all their song they lyrics are. They are all just... have uh, is it Hasidic Jews? Hasidic Jews? It's they have a like Yiddish lo- word. They have really long beards and uh, uh, rat tails and oh my god. What, what the are fuck? you talking but they, about? But they are they are uh holy shit i have to send this to y'all y'all need to google what this is live <laughs> he's um, probably just looking at his first photo of a hasidic jew so no i am not i've seen him before we've um, all seen zz top <laughs> uh you need to image search that because i don't know what the fuck is going on okay a bubba is like an old wives tale like some bullshit that your grandma tells you so you're okay. like Oh, that's just like hot made up shit. That's a boba misa. It's okay. a, anyway. am, I, am I am I spelling it right? I have no idea the transliteration I, because Yiddish is actually written in Hebrew, the Hebrew alphabet, right, not, not the a English one-to-one. alphabet. Yeah. Okay. What the yeah. fuck is this? <laughs> exactly. This is what I'm saying. Like Google image search this and and just be like, what the fuck is going on? I, did. I just this is insane I, I because Bill's Robin. usually the one who's screaming at us like Hamilton. We're off topic, and now he's like, hey, check out this Hasidic band. Check out these Hasidic puppets that he yeah. just sh- showed me. Oh, that's actually very cute. So it's like they're puppets. Grandma's fake. Yeah, he's showing us literally. Puppets. Google this. Just Google that word. Oh, my God. B-U-B-A-M-Y-S. We have a guest who might have a life they need to get back to. He'll get back to it. (laughs) Oh, I'm just getting lost in the the SERPs right now. This is. Oh, yeah. Look at that. They really are puppets. This is very strange. Exactly. Well, so everybody learned said... so many new words. <laughs> Everyone at home, <laughs> Google B U B A space M Y S E S and uh, enjoy. I guess probably. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so this all came about because I was talking about how my daughter likes to pretend to be animals. Um, you know what is also fun is that uh, you know talking about like precociousness or like dealing with your child and it takes a village. I go to the dog park and um, there are people there who she knows will, will play along with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so she like her victims. 
Yeah, pretty much. And I like tell them, I'm like, you don't have, you can tell her no. And they like, you're like, no, I love your daughter. She's great. So like, she'll go up to Ted and she'll be like, you're a vampire and you're trying to eat me. And he's like, okay. Uh, and she's like, ah. And she's like, no, 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 no. Now I'm the vampire. <laughs> and then what's super awkward for me <laughs> is that she'll go up to uh, women who are around my age and oh, then no. say, I'm the baby turtle and you're the mommy turtle. Oh, no. Or I'm the baby shark and you're the mommy shark. Or I'm the baby sloth and you're the mommy sloth. And then she's like, come on, mommy sloth. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, no. <laughs> she's like, auditioning mommies. I, I sometimes grow c- concerned about that. Um, and I'm like, also, if you're going to do that, could you please do it to one of the single ones? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's safer when they're already married because then there's no then they're protected. So it's just like, it's all pretend instead of like the start of a rom-com. Yeah. But like, I wouldn't mind getting a start in a rom-com, you know, like, Oh boy. I, we need to get you on a reality show, man. (laughs) Like date my daddy or something. Oh, uh, maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe don't do that. My daddy. Oh, Jesus Christ. All right. On that beautiful note, (laughs) I think we had a lot of thoughts about this movie. We had a lot of thoughts um, that were related to having seen <laughs> this movie. Greg, yeah, I will but, I will offer yeah. this this moment to you. Do you have any thoughts on this movie that we didn't tap into? Any things you wanted to talk about that we hadn't gotten to? Not particularly. I mean, I think that what happened here was just kind of the argument I made about all the thoughts that kind of tangentially come out of watching this movie based on your own experiences and your own perceptions of you know of what you're watching and this what you're getting out of the story so i think it just kind of leads you down those avenues of thought that kind of provoke these conversations and i i think the root of the whole movie is having those conversations you know i mean yeah this is a movie where joaquin phoenix points a uh, a camera a microphone at people and asks them their thoughts on stuff and we've we've basically recreated that yeah Hmm. yeah it's true though because i didn't even when i came out of the movie theater my husband and I weren't like, oh, I really loved the way this was edited. I mean, which we did like, but w- the first thing out of our mouths were like, man, having kids is hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or like yeah. having intelligent kids with big imaginations is really hard. Yeah, no, it was funny. Like, again, at the distill, so at the distillery today, you know, we've started serving cocktails and we had a bunch of people in yesterday and we were like, you know, oh, no one really seemed to care about it, but we should think more about social distancing and if you know a party comes in they don't want to be with everyone else at the bar what are we going to do so what we did is we the bar is made up of three different kitchen islands that we bought at ikea and so we moved them apart and then we had to clean up and then we realized that you could see things now that you couldn't see before so we had to clean up and my daughter who i said could just sit down and watch youtube saw arthur and i working and came out of the office and said well i have to help and I was like, you don't have to if you don't want to. She's like, no, I want to. And she she took a cleaning rag and she like knew that she was smaller than us. So it was easier for her to clean the bottom parts of things. Aww. And she's like, you know, you guys are working and I need to help. And I was like, you don't need to help. She's like, I want to. I also comes to this. Like, this is also my distillery. She said something Aww. that made it sound like this is also where I work. And I was oh like, God. okay. 
did. Right. And so that was one of those moments where I'm like, again, like, what have I done correct that I could yeah, model you, or write You haven't done shit. This is yeah, all her. You, this is all her genes. You wouldn't do anything except fill in the gaps of those genes. But this is her <laughs> personality that came out of the womb. You didn't do anything. Do you believe that? your next one's going to be way worse. <laughs> your next one's going to be the evil one. Uh, probably, yeah. No, I think that there. I think that there is a is there. You know, I think that there is something to be said for the way that she's been raised and the fact that, like, you know, she saw me doing everything and knew that if I didn't do it, it didn't get done. And then she wanted to help because I've always told her, like, we're a team. You know, we're partners. We have different things that we're supposed to do. And you know, so if you can do this for me, that'd be really helpful. And I think that she has tried to take on more of that. Also, because I think. But yeah, she just realizes that she exists in this world and that it's good to be able to do things. Um, she wanted to give a bunch of her friends. A, she at school had gotten a bunch of erasers that I guess they give out as prizes. And then she said, I want to give this one to Taya, this one to Riley, this one to like Elizabeth. And I was like, well, you then you wouldn't have any. And she's like, I don't need any erasers. I want my friends to have them. And I'm like, yeah, there's got to be some level in which I have influenced that. But I also do think that there is like some level of that is her nature. But I don't know, because the only way to know would be to go back in time and see if I could raise her up into being a sociopath. Exactly. <laughs> That's the only way. See, to. This like... is why I want to have kids, because it's your only chance for ex- human ex- uh, experimentation. You don't need an IRB. <laughs> you don't need like any of that. You're, this is just your only chance to really test out your theories. We need some more meat. Of human development. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Jesus Christ. All right. Well, this right. has been a fantastic Black conversation. Curtain. This actually reminds me a lot of the kind of conversations that I would have when I'd go and see movies with like a group of friends. Mm-hmm. And then we'd go out for drinks afterwards and like, yeah, maybe you wouldn't talk about the movie, but you talk about things that are informed by having seen that movie. And, well, it evokes um, a lot. And that's yeah, the, the yeah, point of art, right? I would think so. Yeah. Movie club. High five. All right. So that's it for today. Uh, we hope that you all have enjoyed listening to us uh, have our minor crises and our philosophical conversations about solipsism or solipsism, as Bill likes to call it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's let's get out of here. Um don't forget that you can email us podcastfilmstage.com. Uh, give us a comment or rating on iTunes. And uh, find us on Twitter at Filmstage Show, Facebook, The Filmstage Show. Uh, Robin Barr, what are we talking about next week? I think we're off next week. Is that a thing? Mm-hmm. You got to check cool. the schedule, man. I do have to check the schedule. That's that's pretty cool. Off next week? I think our next, I think our next episode yeah. will be our top tens of 2021. Oh, snap. So look forward so to that. So whatever you got to watch still, this is your time. Yeah, I got to watch The uh, the Last Duel. I got to check out, uh, I don't know. Hey, if you think that you know something that I haven't seen that I need to watch before the end of the year, why don't you hit me up on uh, Twitter at Brian J. Rowan or email us podcastfilmstage.com. All right. Well, that's cool. So look forward to that uh, whenever that episode drops. Uh, in the meantime, uh, don't forget that we are brought to you by movie, mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial. And don't forget to go to patreon.com slash filmstage show to give us your money. So that is it for today. Uh, let's tell the fine folks at home where we can be found between now and the next time. 
that we are uh, pouring our uh, emotional uncertainty into their ears. Let's begin with our guest, Greg. Where can people find you online? Um, I tweet very sparsely on Volante Views uh, on Twitter. Um, film writing can be found uh, at Edge Boston. Um, short films, things like that, can be found searching my name on Vimeo. Um, and those are kind of the only things I have out there right now. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG. You can also find me at Instagram at Billstagram and uh, always posting good puppy photos and other things. Um, but yeah, also find me mixing it up on the Slack channel, still way behind, but uh, continuously. Yeah, there's been a lot happening there. Yeah, dropping in and out. So. All right. Robin Barr. You can always find me on Twitter at R-O-B-Y-N-B-A-H-R. Um, you can also find some of my writing at The Hollywood Reporter. Um, and also I just wrote a tribute to Louis Anderson, who did pass away on Friday um, at the uh, for The Washington Post. So if you want to check that out, um, I really, really miss Louis Anderson. It's he was hometown really paper. incredible. Yeah, <laughs> he was just an incredible comedian and actor, and uh, and his work meant a lot to me. So check that out. Please do. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as for me, I can be found on every social media platform of which I am a part at Brian J. Rowan. You can go to my personal site, brianjrowan.com, to see more stuff that I've done. And uh, yeah, you can go to uh, schmidtspirits.com if you want to read more about my alcohol and <laughs> The, uh, the distillery that my uh, daughter helps me to maintain. Um, and uh, don't forget to go to thefilmstage.com to get more of my writing and every episode of this here podcast. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. Bye.